Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Greetings and welcome to episode six of this second season of Make and Multiply. I'm Ryan Chase. I'm one of the elders at Emmaus Road Church. We're talking about the one another commandments in the New Testament and applying these to our life together in gospel community. We value life on life, life in community relationships. That's where disciples are made and multiplied. That's where we get to... uh, display and live out the dynamics of the gospel, the kind of community that the gospel creates as a witness to the world. Jesus said that it's by our love for one another that the world will know that we are his disciples. And so we want to live that out in a vibrant gospel community. And that is not vague sentimentalism. Uh, It has specifics, and the New Testament lays those out for us in specifics with all of these one another commands. And so we're going to talk about the command to show hospitality to one another. We see this in several places in the New Testament. The one where it's worded as a one another command is 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, It comes up in Romans 12, 13, alongside the command to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So there the focus is uh, the saints. Then we have the statement in Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Besides the fact that that verse uses the word unawares, which is an uncommon word, um, what does it mean to show hospitality to strangers, and in what sense have people entertained angels? We'll talk about that in another episode. Uh, but hospitality is such a uh, significant quality of the Christian life that it's actually one of the qualifications for overseers and elders and pastors. It shows up in both lists of qualifications for elders, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. An elder or pastor or overseer must be hospitable. And those lists of qualifications are not just kind of the upper echelon of spiritual maturity. Elders are supposed to exemplify those things because all believers are to be growing in these things. And so hospitality is something that Christians are are called to, to show to one another. So 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's a lot there to talk about, uh, not least of which is this qualifier without grumbling. But as I was preparing and looking at some of these texts, I just realized there, there's enough here that I could talk about this over two or three episodes. So I think that's what I'm going to do, beginning with some gospel foundations. I want to lay the foundation for thinking uh, about hospitality in terms of a, a biblical theology of hospitality. Again, biblical theology just traces a theme throughout the story of redemptive history, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So if we go back to creation and begin there with original hospitality, what we see is that God himself is the ultimate host. God is the one who shows us what hospitality is, what it looks like, beginning prior to the fall. Uh, God provides. Genesis 2, 8 and 9 describe God's hospitality this way. It says, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. 
in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So it's it's pleasing to look at it, and it tastes good. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the next verse is going to talk about the rivers that flowed out of that garden, and the gold in the land was good. When, when you read through that, you just get a sense of God's lavish provision, his generosity, his hospitality. He forms the entire cosmos, uh, the entire universe. He, he makes the world. He prepares in the world a garden and he puts man in the garden and he fills the garden with everything necessary for life above and beyond. It's not just functional, but it's, it's pleasing and aesthetically satisfying. God is the ultimate host. And that's original hospitality. But at the fall, Adam and Eve sin by violating God's hospitality. Of everything that God provided, there was one condition. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. They, they sinned by eating. Eating is such a, a fundamental part of our existence. Uh, it's a, a essential part of hospitality. We share meals together. We sit around a table. We open up our homes by opening up our table and eating together. And it's it's a big deal that Adam and Eve sinned by eating. They ate from this one tree that God said not to eat from. And the consequence for their sin was that they were kicked out of the garden. They were no longer welcome there in this garden. Fast forward throughout history to redemption. Jesus comes as the bread from heaven, living water. He talks about his redemptive work in terms of satisfying heart hunger and soul thirst. And he makes it clear that God the Father has provided in Jesus. He has provided everything that we need to be redeemed, to be welcomed back in. He makes it uh, makes it possible for outcasts and orphans to be welcomed back in for those who have been exiled from the garden to have access again to the garden. In Luke 14, Jesus describes the kingdom in terms of a a banquet. And again, it's lavish hospitality. Let me read a few verses here. Luke 14, 15 through 24, Jesus says, a man once gave a great banquet, a great banquet, huge party, and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So Jesus describes God's redemptive work as, again, in terms of lavish hospitality a master of a great house, throwing a great banquet. And his desire is to fill his house, to fill it up with people, and then to be the generous benefactor who provides all of the, the food, and all of the, the provisions necessary, who lavishes gifts on his guests. The kingdom of God, Jesus describes it in terms of hospitality. And so the, the proclamation of the gospel is an invitation to a banquet. 
Come, because the master is going to fill his house. Come, and that invitation is sent out to the ill-deserving. It's sent out to the unlikely uh, because it is not merited. Nobody earns their way in, but we are welcomed in by grace. And so redemption is God making a way for us to be welcomed back into his banquet. And then when we think about the consummation of all redemptive history, so we move through creation, fall, redemption, you think about the restoration of all things, the consummation, where, where is all of history heading? You can describe it in terms of a wedding banquet. That's what Revelation 19, 9 says. Uh, John hears this angel saying to him, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is going to be a marriage feast. And that is, again, God's lavish hospitality, his generosity poured out on his people, the consummation of all things. So God is on a mission to fill his house with undeserving guests in order to show the glory of the glory and majesty of his own generous hospitality and his house is going to be full. We start there because as we learn to practice hospitality, show hospitality to one another, our hospitality is informed by and flows out of our understanding of God's hospitality to us. That's where we get the pattern. We don't look to the world because in the world, um, there's, there's a totally different system. And so, Gospel hospitality, uh, I think we could say it this way, just like like the gospel itself, it's unmerited and yet it's conditional. It's unmerited, conditional hospitality. Let let me explain. Uh, Gospel hospitality is unmerited. So you've heard of these fundraisers uh, as banquet fundraisers for politicians, presidential candidates, where people pay $10,000 for a plate. Uh, Obviously, they're paying for more than just the food. They're making some kind of contribution or donation. So the world has a system like that where you, you pay to eat, you pay to sit at the table, you pay for a place. How do you get invited to a place like that? Well, if you have money, you're more than welcome to come. That's not how gospel hospitality works. No one pays for their place at this table. It was bought for us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, by his shed blood. That's how we get a seat at a table. So it's unmerited, unearned. You don't pay for it. You don't purchase a ticket to this. Um, That's how it works in the world. If you are somebody or if you have money, if you know somebody, then you get in. Um, but, but Jesus says in, in Luke 14, when, when he's talking about how you go to a banquet, he says, when, um, or excuse me, when he's talking about how you, how you throw banquets, he says, uh, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, I don't think in that statement, Jesus is saying, um, don't have your friends, don't have your neighbors, don't have your family over for meals. I think at the heart of this is the idea that gospel hospitality is unmerited. Uh, You don't give in order to get something back from other people. You you give freely and generously not to be repaid. So it's, it's unmerited. But gospel hospitality is conditional. You don't earn it. You don't buy your spot here. But there is a condition. Think about the garden again. God is lavishly hospitable to Adam and Eve in in Eden. 
And he set a parameter, a condition. Do not eat from this tree. Now, that command, don't eat from this tree, is is clearly not uh, a meritorious thing. It's not how Adam and Eve earn their way into the garden. They're already in the garden. God has already provided for all of their needs. Uh, But it is an expression of their trust in God, their dependence on God to supply all that they need. And by eating from that tree, they, they take matters into their own hands. They trust themselves instead of God. And the consequence is that they are kicked out. Uh, Likewise, when Jesus is describing the kingdom as a wedding feast, that same parable that appears in Luke 14, it it shows up in Matthew 22, and we see um, a little bit more detail there. There's there's a a condition. So the servants go out into the roads, they gather everybody that they found. Uh, Matthew 22, 10 says, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But then Matthew 22, 11 says this, but when the king came in to look at the guests... He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So so the guy is speechless. He he knows, uh, he responded to the invitation, but he came on his own terms. He he didn't even bother to put on uh, appropriate attire. And there is a dress code at this banquet. The, 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 The master's throwing a wedding feast. The king is throwing a wedding feast. Um, but there's, there's a dress code. And when he finds somebody who has arrived without wearing the proper attire, uh, he confronts him and the guy is speechless. He knows exactly what he did coming on his own terms. Verse 13 says, then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Outer darkness is outside of the generous protection and provision of the king. Outer darkness is outside of all of that. And Jesus says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And that last verse, many are called, but few are chosen, is not a statement of how many people are going to be saved. It doesn't mean there will be um, very few people saved in the end. It just means that uh, the gospel invitation that goes out, goes out to the whole world and not everybody responds to it. Not all who are called are chosen. Not all who are invited are chosen. Not all who hear the gospel respond to it in faith. So there has to be this response. There is a condition. You must repent and believe. So it's wise not to press too far what exactly does the wedding garment represent, but it does show to us that uh, along with God's incredible generosity that goes out to the blind and the lame and the poor and anyone and everyone, regardless of who they are, there's nothing we can do to earn this or deserve this. And yet there, there is a condition, there is a dress code. And so we are to respond to God on his terms because remember, he's the host, we're the guests. He invites us, we respond to him. That's how we always relate to God. And so gospel hospitality is transformational. It, it establishes a relationship. It doesn't just throw the door wide open and say, um, anybody come and go as you please, ransack the kitchen, just have your way and ignore the rules of the household. Uh, it invites people in to a proper relationship with the household and with the master of the house. It brings you into relationship. It transforms you. It changes you, brings you out of the alleys and the dumpsters into the king's home and into relationship with the king. So it moves people from strangers 
to family. That's what gospel hospitality does. Uh, the way to think about this is the biblical idea of, of covenant. There are privileges and blessings as well as responsibilities that go along with covenant relationship. God establishes a covenant relationship. His hospitality brings us into his household, his home, and establishes this covenant relationship with us. And the conditionality of hospitality that God shows is a protection to the household. The best hospitality is always both inclusive and exclusive. Uh, This is just inescapable. Uh, You have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, first of all, you have to know where your own home is in order to open your home. You have to know that this is my home and that's my neighbor's home. You have to know where the boundaries are so that you can even host at all. And and the world um, doesn't quite understand this. The, The world will say things like, all are welcome. And you see those signs around town. Everybody's welcome here. All are welcome. Um, But if you press that, you find that it it runs into limitations. For example, Airbnb, um, they say about themselves that at the core, they are an open community. So they aspire to welcome absolutely everybody. So the very first thing you do, if you are going to book a place to stay on Airbnb, you have to agree to their policies. And if you don't agree to their policies, you're not welcome to use their platform. So they're saying to you, we are so welcoming, so tolerant of absolutely everyone that if you don't agree with us, you're not welcome here. So they even understand you draw the line somewhere. Hospitality has has to have some idea of uh, who is welcome to come in through the door and not everybody's welcome. Uh, two of the most appalling anti-examples of hospitality come in Genesis 19 and Judges 19. Uh, Genesis 19 is where two angels of the Lord are sent to get Lot and his family out of Sodom. And when they get there, Lot welcomes them into his home. He shows them hospitality. But while they're in his home, uh, all of the men of the city, young and old, every last man, it says in Genesis 19, shows up at Lot's door. They're trying to break down the door. They're demanding vile and perverse things. They say, send those men out so that we can know them, which is a euphemism for sexual relationships, homosexuality. Um, they're demanding all to do these vile things to these men who are visiting Lot. And uh, Lot is offering to send his daughters out instead, but the angels rescue Lot, blind the men of the city. Uh, There's a a very similar story that shows up in Judges 19, where a man is traveling through and some, uh, he stops in a city called Gibeah, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And he is in the town square and has no place to stay. Nobody there invites him in. Um, Some other guy who lives in Gibeah, who's not originally from there, invites him in. And same thing happens. All these men come and want to do vile things to this man. And uh, the host ends up grabbing the the traveler's concubine and sending her out to this crowd. And she's gang raped. And it's just this brutal, disgusting thing. Um, And... Judges 19 describes the the men of the city as these worthless fellows with these perverse desires. Um, Hospitality has to know who to let in and who to keep out. And it has to actually keep people out in order to show hospitality to those who are welcomed in. Some people are not safe. Some people are not welcome. And it's a matter of showing hospitality that requires us to protect the guests that we let in through the door by insisting that other people not come in. So hospitality has a door. Uh, It keeps the door, guards the door. There are locks on doors for reasons. So hospitality brings us into relationship, but it does that with conditions. 
that we enter in on the terms of the host. And here we're talking about gospel themes, like God himself. We come on God's terms. He transforms us, brings us into relationship with himself. So that's just a, a foundation for thinking biblically about hospitality. And, and that begins to plant the seeds that how does God treat us? How does he show generous hospitality to us? That's where we take our cues as we show hospitality to others and to the world so that we can move people who are far from God into members of God's family, seated at God's table by God's grace. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at emmausroadsf.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. Connected.